Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. Uh, welcome to another episode, uh, episode 64 today, uh, spending more time at the desk for obvious reasons in the midst of this global pandemic, uh, and very topical today in terms of our uh, our guest uh, on the line. Uh, we have uh, Lauren, uh, Lauren Sorkin from uh, the Global Resilient Cities Network based out of Singapore. Lauren, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, no doubt uh, you are crazy busy and I look forward to hearing uh, what your day looks like at the moment. But uh, before we do that, we've got listeners scattered all over the world. Can I uh, ask you to tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. My, my role is the executive director of the Global Resilient Cities Network. And we are a network of 98 cities globally that work together to promote holistic urban resilience. We are city-driven, led by our membership, um, and we work to advance resilience in institutions and decision-making, as well as investments on the ground that benefit communities and the critical infrastructure that supports them. Uh, Lauren, the, uh, the network itself, let's just unpack it uh, in a little bit more detail, if, if you can. Of course, um, prior to this, you were um, uh, deeply, uh, deeply involved in the, the 100 Resilient Cities uh, project by the Rockefeller Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work of, of the network now and uh, maybe maybe sort of prior COVID-19, because we'll get into that, um, tell, tell us about sort of the, the mission and the work uh, and, and your footprint as well. Absolutely. So, the Global Resilient Cities Network is the legacy organization of 100 resilient cities and the chief resilience officers that were trained and have been acting as pioneering resilience leaders uh, through the support of the Rockefeller Foundation that started in, in 2013. The 100 Resilient Cities Project was founded to create a movement and to change the way cities plan and act. And it was tremendously successful in doing so. The legacy of that organization and that project, which ended in, in July of 2019, uh, is this 98 city network, which has over 4,000 initiatives ready to implement, to advance the resilience that the world needs. Those 98 cities are represented in 40 countries, um, and we operate in five regions, in Africa, in Asia and Pacific, in Europe and the Middle East, in Latin America and the Caribbean, and in the US and Canada. So we are a network of practitioners. Um, we are focused very much on advancing uh, the strategies, the resilience strategies that our cities have developed and in building coalitions around those key areas. And I know we're gonna talk about one of them in the context of COVID today, but around the key resilience challenges that our world is facing. So topics like water and sanitation, certainly the way to build smart and resilient cities and best leverage technology are among the priorities of the organization and its membership. I, uh, I, was, I was certainly a, um, 
uh, uh, how do I describe it? A, a an active sideline uh, kind of observer on the the hundred RC work, um, and being based in Australia um, for sort of part of that, I was also based in the US for a bit, but. Um, uh, I, I got to know quite well the the CROs here uh, in Melbourne and, and Sydney um, and loved the work that was coming out of that um, that 100RC program. Um, the, 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 the framework, um, I remember, you know, when I was sort of looking at some of the early workshopping output that Toby Kent and, and the team were doing down there. And it really opened my mind, my mind up to the, the sort of true power, but also, uh, I, I suppose, scope and, um, uh, and, and, and footprint of resilience in that, you know, shocks and disruptions coming not just from, you know, natural disasters and events, but, you know, substance abuse uh, and, um, uh, and domestic violence and and it really for me really sort of started to become a really powerful framework uh, I think that legacy work uh, that you're now able to carry forward is um, is is just so in, in important if uh, if ever now in in this in this global crisis um, just if we step back for a bit Lauren can I sort of ask you sort of personally individually at the moment when you sort of try and take a breath for a moment um what are you feeling about what's going on now globally in the context of the work you you did previously but more so the, the mission that you've got now that's helping drive your work this is an incredibly unifying moment adam because never in our lifetimes has there been a challenge so profound and at the same time so acute. We are facing as a global community the same challenge in COVID-19. It affects every human the same way. There is no current pharmaceutical intervention. So we have to take the responsibility um, as citizens in our cities, as businesses, um, to actually manage through this crisis together and to do that better. Resilience and the way we've been working on resilience for the past six years has always been, as you just pointed out, in a truly holistic way. It doesn't matter if your infrastructure system is strong, if the people who are needing to use it aren't able to access it. The, the city functions as a system and that's why we've always used a very holistic definition of resilience, which is the ability of individuals, citizens, businesses, and institutions to survive, adapt, and then thrive no matter what shock or stress they face. And so in the face of this massive global shock that we're facing, we feel an incredible sense of urgency and also responsibility to help convene a global conversation and provide that guidance and support through the work that we've been doing so that we can manage through and actually build back better. The, um, that word building back is a really interesting one. I've spent the last 10 days sort of listening more than anything. I've done a number of um, sort of online engagements with cities over here in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and, I mean, there's absolutely no question about it. You know, we're an absolute 
we are in absolute crisis uh, in, in, in some sectors and, and parts of, of government. Um, however, um, some interesting, uh, almost, uh, almost sort of optimistic commentary and, and uh, sharing going on around um, cities, uh, cities confirmation that um, we, we need to start considering and planning for the rebuild, you know, now. Uh, for, for some that were on a call of, of many cities, you know, that ruffled a few feathers and some were, you know, we, we just need to focus on the, you know, uh, uh, avoiding the hemorrhaging right now. We'll think about the rebuild later. But talk to us about your views or thoughts, maybe even some advice, you know, what, what, what would be, is there an appropriate time to think or talk about or even plan for the rebuild when, it's sort of this is all playing out in real life now, particularly the impact of it playing out in real life, in real time. Yeah. Well, well, as they say, Adam, timing is everything. But at the same, in that same brushstroke, we also see that this is a crisis that isn't linear. Uh, sitting here in Singapore, we had a first wave of infection, and then uh, was we were looking at a flattened curve. Mm. And now we've had another spike. You've seen, I'm sure the listeners have also seen in the news, the different scenarios of how this virus plays out, um, which can be a peak and valley. It can become um, like the flu where it's always around and there are seasonal infections. Um, so there are lots of ways this can play out, but it certainly isn't linear. And at this point, no one knows the answer about when there will be the high point um, and when you can safely start to talk about recovery. So in the first instance, what we have to do is to be sensitive and to prioritize the needs of, of vulnerable communities. Mm. So getting, getting resources and getting information about the right kinds of approaches to those cities to those places to those institutions and those businesses that are that are suffering um i'm sure you've seen the the migration flows that are happening both between countries as well as within countries like here in this region in in india and it's absolutely vital that those governments are focused on the needs of those vulnerable communities at the same time we have to make the space and provide pathways for cities to start thinking about a resilient recovery. And we cannot wait until the tail end of the response to do that. That's where there is this exciting opportunity for working on a better future, right? That's that ability to thrive, yeah. to, to bounce forward. We're yeah. already seeing trillions of dollars being earmarked for COVID recovery. Here in Singapore, they just put out a budget, which they've actually called the resilience budget, that goes through those three steps that we were, we were just talking about in terms of they have prioritized a first set of incentives for the most vulnerable communities, right? Wage workers and others who are mm -hmm. directly impacted um, by the slowing of the economy. Then they've set aside a second stage or package for businesses and enterprises um, that need relief 
in that short to medium term. And then the last tranche and the largest tranche of this budget is actually looking at how do we build better social and economic resilience? And these, these were the words in the government's budget so that the systems that we're building back can take into consideration not just this crisis, but the other stresses that we know are around us, like climate, like the future of work. So this gives us a real opportunity to reflect on where our weaknesses were, right? And like, like, with, any, um, like with any pursuit, generally the sharpest pain point is where you have to pay attention, not just to the pain point, but to those supporting systems and to strengthen those. So that, that's what we're looking at. We need to stage prioritizing vulnerable communities and then our local economies and not later, but in parallel, dedicate the right kinds of resources, not the first responders, but those planners and those, um, those engineers and others in our communities who can help to think through that kind of a resilient recovery. We're seeing a lot of our chief resilience officers come forward and start to have that conversation in a really interesting way. We've been supporting them in that, and we're going to continue to do that uh, in the coming months. Uh, I imagine, Lauren, you know, through that uh, that foundational work of 100RC, you know, getting the, the CROs in place, getting a, a resilience strategy um, uh, sort of... Um, you know, developed, but also in, entrenched within the organization, within the ecosystem of their stakeholders. Um, so not only resilience kind of now coming into play and, and, and helping uh, right now, um, this is, if anything, going to really confirm that, you know, re resilience is a living framework and, um, the world isn't going to be the same, isn't it? So, so cities, I imagine that cities will ha kind of have to do the post-mortem, you know, understand, you know, what needs to be changed, what, what, uh, what will, will never be the same, what you get rid of, uh, and, and how you need to sort of introduce new, uh, new mechanisms. Um, so, so this idea of resilience being a, a very much a live process approach and agenda is only more highlighted based on on what we're experiencing now with with something that we we don't really know when it's going to end is it you know i hear that you know well just look at the vaccine as you've said you know what is it at best maybe a year away um we're now seeing that there's you know, potentially sort of reinfection and a phase two uh this this sort of resilient this resilience thing just doesn't sit still does it Certainly the pandemic doesn't sit still and the, the cities and communities that are most resilient, that have good connections, that know themselves and, and know their neighbors best are faring best. So it, it's in situations where you have to be uh, adaptive, having those different connections and having that local knowledge is really essential. The, um, the interesting comment that uh, that someone made to me late last week um, in the context of Australia, and I suppose predominantly work from home, is, is that Zoom is currently keeping the, the national economy moving, or together at least. 
Um, It's been very interesting to observe what are those absolutely fundamental pieces of infrastructure, whether it's sort of digital or hard or, you know, or social infrastructure that are keeping us all going. Um, Yet sort of three months ago, you know, Australia was burning to the ground, you know, and, and physical contact and empathy and, and neighbourly support was was sort of what was really helping us um, so, sort of survive through that. Um, uh, it, it really shows that the, the, the diversity of, of of shock and stress and awe uh, can be can be so diverse. Is is there is there anything you've seen globally prior to COVID nineteen that has lent on digital and data? to the extent that we're leaning on it now to help us get through? Any challenge that's, that's focused on digital and data? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got 100 cities out there that for years have sort of been working on resilience and they've identified priorities. Has digital and data uh, sort of really come to the fore as much as it has now? This is certainly a high point yeah. for it. Yeah. You've, you've heard advocates, and I think we hear echoes of it in a lot of these positive spins on the decrease in pollution or the decrease in carbon emissions. So we've certainly seen some meetings, some convenings, some businesses turn to technology in the effort to be less carbon intensive um, and to limit travel. But before this pandemic, there, there wasn't this sense of urgency or breath. As I was saying before, I think we have never experienced um, in our recent memory uh, a shock so acute and so profound that impacts um, the global community and the global economy in this way. So the digital infrastructure is more uh, front and center now uh, than it has perhaps ever been before as, as a resilience tool. Mm, mm. Uh, across your uh, your network, Lauren, um, are there any are there any sort of early ob- observations or insights as to sort of common? Uh, well, I don't want to say common challenges. I mean, you know, s- small business, for example, is is a common challenge given the role it has in our economies. But is there are there, are there any insights um, that are starting to really emerge, maybe in terms of? Uh, of of strategies for responding or uh, immediate relief that you're finding are working really well and and therefore you've got that ability to share across your network and and not duplicate? We have. You you just touched on a really important point, Adam, and I'm I'm so glad that you are convening these kinds of conversations. Global cooperation is so urgently needed now because while the the pandemic is is so acute, it is also affecting everyone. So the amount of innovation that's happening right now across different cities is stunning. (laughs) Um, We've created a number of channels for our cities to share experiences because the the faster we can get practical knowledge into the hands of uh, decision makers, whether they be in local government or in businesses or in community groups, um, the faster we can respond um, with resilience. So we have um, created internal channels to share those 
among our network, but we know that we have a global responsibility to share and, and to take that leadership role and say, here are those good practices around resilience. So we've also created um, an online speakers series, which is happening once a week um, and is open to all. And the resources from those speaker series are also organized online in an open website. So, so far we've been curating practices around a number of innovative responses. One um, from, from the city of Milan, they shared their comprehensive plan for response, which involves um, support to low-wage workers, their approaches to the economic uh, relief for those individuals. It also covers their plans in terms of providing, um, uh, as you mentioned before, really critical support for uh, the psychological impacts of uh, the pandemic. So um, hotlines that have been set up to combat loneliness. Um, we also heard from the city of London through that series and they shared very openly how they're using public-private partnerships to deal with food security issues. Um, so a number of these practices are coming up and we're making those available through both a, a speaker series, which people can log into, be a part of a global conversation, um, and then also access on their own time. There are a number of other resources that partners of ours have also put together that you can see in particular for cities, there's um, Cities for Global Health, which is an initiative of Metropolis and UCLG. So there is an outpouring of practice. Um, we've also set up um, email support. So if there are cities who have specific questions or want to start thinking about resilience and recovery, uh, we're making our, ourselves available to support. This is a this is a time for uh, radical transparency and global leadership in this conversation. Um, I think what's been what's what's been interesting to to observe in all of this is the number of different voices where we need to keep creating opportunities for unified information, science, and solutions that can work for more cities and more places. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you've got some uh, some nice young voices there around you. Some neighbors have just come <laughs> home. It seems the joys of working from home. This oh, is everyone's new normal. Uh, it, it, it is the new normal, absolutely. Um, Lauren, I've just, uh, I'm a bit of a, uh, for those that know me, I'm a bit of a, a LinkedIn enthusiast. I've, I've jumped in and I've found um, your organization's uh, page on LinkedIn, which is the Global Resilient Cities Network. Uh, it seems like you, you guys are, are, are posting um, a, a lot of information there around that cities on the frontline series. Is uh, just for our folks that are listening into this, is is that sort of the best way to keep in touch with the great work that you're doing at the moment uh, through LinkedIn? Are there any other means by which they should sort of keep in touch or follow? LinkedIn is a great way to keep up with the Cities on the Frontline campaign, as is our Twitter. So you can find us at Global Res Cities. Uh, and we will, through both of those channels, post the links to our Medium page that has all of the resources, um, the PowerPoints, the recordings, and the additional resources that cities are sharing with us, like practical policy guidelines and trainings as well. 
Yeah, excellent. Okay, now yeah. that's fine. I just wanted to make sure that we um, we had our, had our listeners uh, give them the opportunity to go and uh, try and connect in some way. Um, let me um, let me pivot for a little bit. I, I, I'd like to ask you the question, um, uh, maybe maybe sort of more more of a personal professional one. Um, during all the work that you did uh, with Hundred RC. Was there, and given the global sort of footprint of that program and and the extensive sort of learning and and intelligence gathering that that you would have been able to to sort of um, build, um, you traveled a lot as well. Was there any, was there any real sense that something like what we're experiencing now was ever on the horizon? You know, we've all we've all kind of seen that um, that Bill Gates, you know, TED talk. You know, he, he said in 2015 this was going to happen. But in, in your work, was was there ever a sense that we might this day might come? The short answer is yes. Yeah. The resilient cities movement was started because of three completely intertwined phenomenon, globalization, urbanization, and climate change. Mm. You know, we are more urban than ever before. There are more people on this planet than there ever have been before. Most of us are living in cities. We are totally interconnected uh, through our economic relationships, through our information and communication relationships. Um, And we are experiencing climate change. Mm. Uh, You were talking earlier about the the bushfires in Australia, um, watching uh, in in Southeast Asia, the intensity of typhoons um, that that are experienced here in places that they're not often experienced, like Mankud in Hong Kong, um, of course, Typhoon Yolanda in the Philippines. These are profound um, occurrences that are more more devastating because of the size of the population than the way um, we're living. But it's wrong to to say that um, our cities are some uh, cause of of these problems. Our cities are the way we live. It's how we manage them um, that makes us more or less vulnerable. And and that at the core of it is why we advocate. Um, and support resilience practice because mm. we can we can manage these interrelated challenges, but we have to look out on the horizon and acknowledge they're possible and then prepare for them. Um, as you said, could we have seen this was coming? Yes, we could have, and, and that's why there were preparedness measures in place in many places around the world. As as a re- resilience you know, practitioner and, and, and policymaker and, you know, um, student of, of this agenda. Um, what, what do you hope will come uh, after this? I, I mean, you know, a hundred cities is, is incredible. Uh, there's way more cities that of course have resilient strategies and plans and, 
have, have it embedded into their decision making and, and action and investment, but more, more broadly, globally, because this is literally touched on, I don't know who this would not have affected at all, almost every human on the planet, I would imagine. Is there a, is there a sort of a, a part of you as a practitioner that, um, you know, hopes that um, as we work our way out of this, there'll be a, a heightened level of appreciation, awareness, uh, action or investment? Do you, does that run through your mind at the moment or is it too early for that? Absolutely. Adam, as the adage goes, um, a crisis is a, is a terrible thing to waste. And we are already seeing these massive stimulus packages that are coming out as a result of COVID-19. We're going to have an opportunity to build new and different types of infrastructure to plan different kinds of communities um, and to support the kinds of innovations that deliver not just resilience to COVID-19, but that promote the kinds of values that we want to see in our cities and that make cities better places for all of us. Mm. So it's, it's my hope that as we come through this, the approaches that we use to plan the use of those precious and, and, and newly available resources for our cities and communities, take that holistic approach and commit to delivering multiple benefits um, so that we can have a much stronger and more resilient future. Yeah. Um, my, my next question is, is going to probably sound a little bit loaded, um, but, but you, you don't know that it's coming, but you know, you, you're the Global Resilient Cities Network. We're, we're the Smart Cities Council. Um, the last 10 days for us uh, has been interesting in that we've been asking the question and uh, observing where we're at with data. Okay. Um, so data, whether we like it or not, you know, the, the, the community data is now, you know, one of their, you know, f fundamental needs every day because, you know, the, 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 on, the ongoing sort of tally of, of, of numbers, the, the dashboards that we're seeing, um, the questions that we've been trying to sort of narrow in on the, the past 10 days has been around um, what, what data is helping you now that you have what what data do you wish you had now oh my god i wish i had this data so that we could make better decisions and then also what data do you think you'll need on an ongoing basis to sort of help with the the, the adaptation the rebuild and and hopefully you know ongoing sort of you know thriving and um uh it it seems like there's there's been um a couple of data sets that um everyone wishes they had right now that that just don't exist they, they certainly could be things like you know as of today we don't know how many small businesses have shut down in brisbane city right we, we kind of just don't know that there's the sort of uh there will be with time you know bankruptcies lodged and and sort of formal data sets coming through um but we we don't have a number now uh and because we don't have a number now we kind of can't spatially map those as well so in terms of deploying support where we need it there's, there's a little bit of guesswork going on so just on that data piece lauren where do, where do you think data 
plays a role now, but potentially might play a role even more in the resilience agenda as we sort of, you know, work our way through this, but, but thrive afterwards? It's a, it's a great question, Adam. And data always plays a very important role in any planning effort and also in measuring how effective um, the responses that we, we are deploying are. The, the question is, is an interesting one because there's both, um, both a setup uh, piece of it as well as an availability piece of it. And um, as, as you and I know, I think very well from this work, not every um, not every city will have the same um, amount of data, and not every city will have the same systems for integration. So I think the most important thing is to ask the right questions to set up your data systems. So mm -hmm. in terms of your plans, where you want to go with your city, um, you need to think about the different things that drive your resilience. When when we talk about resilience, we talk about health and well-being, economy and society, infrastructure, and environment and and governance. And so you need to figure out within your city what are the key data sets that I have in my system, and where am I trying to get to, right? So. If you are able to ask those right questions, what is my vision, what I want to achieve, then you can line up those right amount of data. Your, your, your example of the small businesses is a good one. If we recognize our vision is to strengthen our local economy coming out of the, the COVID crisis, then we need to understand what is our baseline of data around our small businesses? What do we know about them? And then what do we know about our system that supports them. What does our workforce look like, right? What mm -hmm. what are our what are our future trends? What are the risks to them, pandemic or or otherwise, right? What are the environmental risks to them, um, and then to be able to to project those into the future. So there's there's a setup question in there, and that we have to figure out what data sets we need to achieve those resilient city visions, um, and then set up the right baselines and the right integration. Um, so that that data answers the questions that we need. Just as an interesting innovation point, um, you're asking about what we're seeing across our network. And yeah. a number of cities have shown and shared with each other fantastic systems for managing volunteers. Mm. And what's, what's really clear is that some cities maintain over time for various different reasons, fantastic databases of volunteers. And uh, in Tel Aviv, they, they showed us actually their mapping of where all of their vulnerable citizens are. So if you're able to map your volunteers and your vulnerabilities, then in any kind of crisis situation, you're able to respond and deploy those volunteer resources more effectively when you most need them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I've, I, I've seen some incredible... Um, uh, platforms that I never knew existed before, which are just so uh, so sort of simple, but also meaningful. And as you 
as you sort of rightly mentioned in the beginning, um, focused around uh, building um, building up greater connection and and support for our vulnerable our vulnerable populations in our communities. Um, Lauren, the the last question uh, that we usually ask on the podcast here is, what are you most looking forward to in the coming year? Um, this is not the normal circumstances that, that, that we would sort of have uh, over the past year in asking that question on the podcast. But if I was to ask you that, uh, I suppose this is sort of the, the glass half full, the, 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 opti- the optimism question, you know, what, what, uh, what, does the, what does the next kind of seven to 10 months look like for you and what are you really looking forward to? Lauren, are you still there? Sorry, have we have we lost you? One of the things, uh, hi Adam. Uh, sorry, me? yes, yes, we got right. you. One of the things that we um, have come to value the most within our network is that common approach and common experience. Um, the the resilience officers who we work with share a holistic definition of resilience that I shared earlier on the podcast that that drive to strengthen individuals' uh, systems within a city so that they can survive, adapt, and thrive no matter what shock or stress they face. And what, what in the face of all of this you know, incredibly, challenging, uh, incredibly challenging work with COVID is, is exciting is the fact that we do all have a common challenge and we are in the process. Um, we're not there yet, but we're in the process of developing a really powerful common global vocabulary about what a resilient recovery can look like. Um, and that blends a lot of visions from a lot of the most um, exciting and forward-looking advocates um, of, you know, climate resilience, of uh, the use of technology to meet sustainable development goals. So you see so many different coalitions being formed that are committed to coming out of this challenge stronger than we were before. So when I think about what I look forward to over the next seven to 10 months, it's building from the incredible base of this network of 98 cities and chief resilience officers and resilience experts um, in, in five regions that we work with and extending and deepening our connections to other businesses and organizations who are likewise committed to this resilient recovery. Um, uh, that uh, hearing that from you, Lauren, gives uh, gives me and hopefully our, our listeners uh, a, a lot of a lot of confidence that um, in 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 partnership in and, and through collaborative processes, we can certainly uh, we can certainly uh, bounce forward through this and and thrive on an ongoing basis. Um, I wanted to uh, wanted to extend a, a, a real sincere thanks, Lauren, for for joining us. I know there couldn't be a more busier time for yourself and the team and the organisation. 
uh, and, and, and genuinely really uh, love the work that, uh, that you guys do. So thanks, uh, thanks very much on behalf of our listeners for, for coming on and sharing uh, what you're doing and what you're thinking at the moment and, and really look forward to um, uh, catching up again soon. But uh, from, from our listeners here, thanks, thanks again for joining us on The Chronicles. Thank you, Adam, and thank you for continuing to convene these important conversations. Uh, I look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and to listening to the next episodes. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. For our listeners, uh, that was uh, Lauren Sorkin, Executive Director of the Global Resilient Cities Network. Uh, encourage you to jump on into LinkedIn and uh, follow them there, Global Resilient Cities Network. Also, uh, they're on Twitter, so uh, you can sort of follow them in more real time uh, in terms of what they're doing, uh, the events and conversations uh, that they're having right now. That uh, that Twitter handle is Global Res Cities. Uh, thoroughly recommend you jump in now and get on that. For our listeners that aren't subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast, you can do so wherever you find uh, or listen into your podcast. You can also head to our website, smartcitychronicles.com or drop us an email. You can get us at chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of the Smart Cities Chronicles. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another really critical and important uh, episode uh, around resilience and the COVID-19 pandemic. We look forward to chatting again and sharing more insights with you so- sh- shortly. Thanks for listening.